0: Well, credit where credit's due, or is it? Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest
1: driver, Juan Manuel Banjo. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risks all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher
0: the head, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Yeah! Oh my God. Max Verstappen, you are the world champion. The world. Champion! Hello and welcome to episode 40 of F1 in Review, the episode in the hour where we discuss our winners from this 2022 season of F1. I'm Tom Claibon and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt, a reminder that you can follow both of us individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review accounts where these episodes are posted once they've gone out. So you may be wondering, our winners, how does that work? How does this episode work? We've got no race to review, we've got no new news to review in this episode, so how are we going to go forward in terms of picking our win as well. In preparation for this, we've all picked a driver and a team who we deem as winners of this season in one way or another. We know who each other have picked, but so to avoid any doubling up and to ensure that we talk about at least three drivers and three different teams at the very least. Hope that all makes sense. So without any further ado, Tristan, there's 20 drivers, there's 10 teams. Which driver have you picked and why?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um... It was a real challenge to pick a a winner and not go for, I think, the obvious ones. Hmm. We all wanted to pick someone different. And I feel like looking at your options as well, I I mostly actually agree with with some of your selections. But I went with someone that I feel has, has entered into the sport this year and shone in a way perhaps that we haven't seen for a while. And now this person is not a rookie. No one's going to accuse Kevin Magnussen of not knowing his way around a Formula One car or a Formula One <laughs> track. However, I would argue he has been the biggest winner this season. And before you start switching off thinking this person doesn't know what he's talking about, I'd like to mention that he didn't have a drive last year. Didn't even think he was going to necessarily have a drive going forward to this year. Mm. Because of many different circumstances, Has deemed Kevin Magnussen worthy of taking their number two seat and he absolutely stormed into the season. Round one in Bahrain, he came in fifth place to immediately get ten points. Then he got ninth ninth place in the next race in Saudi Arabia. And looking at his, his stats for the rest of the season, yes, he he only scored um his scored points on sort of half or so of, of the the calendar but this is a person who is driving a has and didn't have a seat last year Mm. and wasn't prepared to get into the sport at all if you remember after the first round he was complaining on the radio about how much his neck hurt because he just wasn't used to the significant g-forces that were being exerted on his body throughout the first round and had to go to physiotherapy and try and get his neck into shape. He's been so good this year that Hass has actually decided to keep him on going into next year. And I've taken mm. a look at that recipe and I've said, Do you know what? We want to repeat that by bringing in Nico Hulkenberg for their second, second driver, ditching Mick Schumacher. I think it's very hard to argue that Magnussen isn't one of the biggest winners. And yes, you can always find someone who maybe scored more points who perhaps scored points in every single round, who never got a DNF, for example. Kevin Magnussen got four DNFs. But the fact is, without any preparation for the season, he came into the sport, has finished 13th place, best for result fifth, 25 points, massively beaten Mick Schumacher, who unfortunately won't be continuing in the team next year. And I could see Magnussen being kept in Haas for two to three more years, um mm-hmm. just because of how how much of an impact he's made. And I, I'm trying to I'm struggling to think of any other driver that made such an impact on the sport this year. I think you can argue, and you may argue, Tom, that someone like Max Verstappen maybe made more of an impact for getting his second world championship. But to be honest, I think it was we all knew he was gonna win, and Magnussen was the biggest shock.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think also when you compare this season to his last season in F1, that being 2020, the gulf in terms of points and performance is huge. You can go and say, well, yes, he only got one point in that car versus 25 points in this car because the former Haskar who he was in wasn't as good as the one previous, but... To be in a sort of run of form, I guess, rolling number of seasons, get one point, be out the sport, still keep yourself relatively match fit or race fit, and then come back and score P15 above Gasly, Stroll, Schumacher, Sonoda. drivers that have been in the sport for one year at least two, some even more than that, you've got to go and tip your hat off to them really, because this Haas car has been good in parts, it's in many ways like the Haas when it first burst onto the scene. Excellent to start with, really good in the first few races. Then tailed off dramatically sort of towards the end. I think that Magnussen has been able to sort of bank in the points where they've been able to towards the start of this uh, season, but also get some good points finishes in the British Grand Prix, for example, in Austria a P10 and a P8. And I think without the points that he was able to secure, and this isn't a critique of Schumacher, but I mean, to how well he's done, that's the reason they've been able to get themselves this being Haas up to P8 in the championship. Because previously, Haas were realistically nowhere near P8, nowhere near battling for anything but the wooden spoon. And when you consider how high Magnussen is in that table versus Schumacher, it's impossible to say, well, it's, it's not down to him. And a couple on to that, as you say, the fact that he's been having a sabbatical, if you will, from the sport I think it's a credit to him, and I forget as well, he's only 30 years old, I for some reason had him a lot older in my mind in terms of his age, in terms of his ability, how long he would be uh, in Formula 1, and when you raise the question of how long he'd be in Formula 1 moving forwards, be that three, four, five years. I thought, oh, maybe that's a bit ambitious. But no, I mean, we're seeing drivers now driving when they're 30, 36, 37, be that those who have won world championships and those that haven't. So I, I see no reason owing to this season how well he's been able to hit the ground running, if you will, and the fact that he's had an impact on off the off the racetrack in terms of how Haas have proceeded moving forwards. They've gone, well, we can now go and take somebody who's not in a seat at the moment, not even having a consistent uh, reserve driver role, and we can put them in our car, we can make them part of our team, and we can hopefully rinse repeat and get two Kevin Magnussons uh, moving forwards and two Kevin Magnussons in terms of the performance in this season going into next. And I think if you Haas, that's what you're aiming for. That's the That's the role, that's the aim, really, because... I think they're under no illusion that Haas aren't going to be uh, winning championships or indeed fighting for podiums. They just want two solid drivers and Magnussen has shown that even in some adverse circumstances uh, with a car that's not the best, he can sometimes pull a rabbit out of the hat there. So credit to him and I'm glad to see him back. Hope he stays on for three to five years, really absolutely but we
1: we have missed out perhaps magnussen's finest achievement and i thought don't worry we're not forgetting about this i just wanted to highlight it perhaps on its on its own that magnussen scored hass's first and to date only pole position which perhaps mm. it was the the cherry on the top of a of a fantastic hass season and yes it was in brazil and it was during some pretty weird weather. But wow. the fact is, Kevin took the opportunity. He managed to set a fast, fastest lap on, well, we're just out of luck, really. A bit of luck and a bit of skill. That's what we like to see. We, we do say you make your own luck, but you have to capitalise on it. has put him out at at the best possible time the track was just dry enough for him to put in a lap no one could beat and that's it that's all you have to Mm -hmm. do in qualifying is put in a lap that no one can beat doesn't matter how you get there just as long as you do it within the rules that doesn't matter nothing else matters and not only that but has also therefore have led a race Magnussen led a race um, mm. for I think a lap because the first one doesn't really count but it doesn't matter. Fantastic start in that Brazil sprint race Saturday led a lap and has, has sort of I, I suppose demonstrated that Hass and he have the capacity to be able to lead a race at some point and that's all you need because lots of these magic moments in Formula 1 occur when there's just a little bit of luck and a little bit of magic. And I'm thinking things like McLaren's win at Monza a um, couple of years back during the silly season, which was 2020. Or do you remember when Esteban Ocon got his first win as well? Mm-hmm, um, yep. These little magic moments when you think, crikey. This is what Formula One's all about. And I think we have been lucky enough that we've had some really good fe- feeling moments for the last few years and you know Gasly's first win, Ocon's first win, Ricardo's win in McLaren and and Kevin Magnussen getting that pole position was right up there with that magic feeling and and is one of my favorite moments from this year because there were a lot of good moments this year but I think Magnussen's one is my favorite and so for all of those reasons that's why I have to put Magnussen as the the biggest winner No one blinks an eye when Max Verstappen gets pole position. But when Kevin Magnussen gets pole position, when Haas gets pole position, the whole of the F1 fandom just goes crazy. And that's what I
0: love. Absolutely. It's one of those that, if you'd asked me at the start of the season, whether Haas or Magnussen would get a pole position, I'd always think, well, yes, there could be different circumstances that would help him get towards the front of the grid. But I thought there'd always be a driver, a constructor that would ultimately nab past Haas, pip them to the post and that would be a shame but regardless of this counting for nothing in the grand scheme of things in terms of points and revenue moving forwards it should really serve as a, a great benchmark to have some smaller teams like them that come into the sport and those who fall by the wayside that it can be done regardless of what power unit you have regardless of um, what relationship you have in Formula 1 be that you're a B team, a C team or an A team you can do it in the right circumstances so a strong pick I must say And moving on to my driver then, I'm going to select Esteban Ocon. And you may be thinking, well, why is that? Well, first of all, Alpine bettered last year's P5 finish in the Constructors, P4 this season, and Ocon finished P8 in the Drivers' Championship. A cool 11 points ahead of Alonso, ahead of Ricardo, ahead of Bottas. And you may be thinking well, to yourself, well, that's fine, P8, that's probably where an Alpine driver should be in terms of the grand scheme of things if they're finishing P4 in the Constructors. But you've got to say, if Ocon's... Leading the pack in terms of beating Alonzo's teammates, one of the few to do so, a large portion of the credits has got to go his way. He scored points 16 times out of 22 races, you know, two DNFs, and only at the points twice uh, in terms of no points finishes being four times. And you've got to say, well, that's quite good in terms of a temperamental car, a car that's Didn't always finish. Renault, formerly uh, the name of Alpine, have had their issues when it comes to power units, when it comes to hydraulics and the rest. So to only have uh, two DNFs and uh, be at the points only two times is actually one of the records when we look at the um, Drivers' Championship this season. Only one or two drivers, namely the two Red Bulls, beat Ocon in that regard. And this all means that we now have 2021, 2007, 2015, and 2022 is being the years in which Alonso's illustrious and long career, uh, where he's been beaten by a teammate. Now, yes, if you want to defend Alonso and uh, bash Ocon, if you will, you can say, well, let's be fair, Alonso had three more DNFs than Ocon, not all of them were his fault, some of them were owing to the reliability issues that I spoke about, that have still haunted uh, Alpine and probably will continue to do so moving. Forwards, but if we all agree that Fernando is an incredibly talented driver, someone who's got multi-world championships to his name, no less, you've got to give credit where credit's due. Um, and in my view, he's had quite a good season, well hell of a one in, in many aspects. But it's one of those where, because he's not gone on to win races, not gone to the podium, not gone on to do ultimately uh, what he was able to do last few seasons, and indeed what someone like Lando Norris has been able to do, he's very much been the submarine, if you will, of the, of the Drivers' Championship. Someone who's quietly gone about their business, you know. as I say, scoring points in 16 races out of 22. Um, and when you consider that the margin at which he's beaten Alonso has only been beaten itself by Button back in 2015, uh, that being a 16-point gap, uh, and you, when you consider as well that Ocon has you know, a high-grid finish as well, uh, finishing in P4 versus Alonso in P5, it's very difficult to argue that Ocon's not had a very, very consistent season and is a very, very consistent driver as well. I think, to be honest... um it would be difficult not to give him credit and ultimately the fact that he's not won of race is probably one of the only reasons why he's not held higher I think as well the fact that he's been out of uh, Formula One for a season been dumped by Mercedes means that ultimately he's not really given the credit he deserves and in my eyes he's probably one of the best drivers outside of uh, the main six if you will the top three teams he's given Norris Semi a run for his money ultimately not been close enough to him but I think the man deserves more respect and to beat Alonso as I say is quite a feat in itself so for that reason perhaps not the biggest winner in terms of the top of the table in terms of the the likes of let's say Verstappen or indeed someone like Perez but I think he's had a pretty good season and in his own little way he's been a bit of a winner but what do you think?
1: It's, it's an interesting choice Esteban Ocon. and well I think we will return to Alpine later on. Ocon's had a very odd season because if you were to just look at the statistics the end result I think perhaps it wouldn't really tell you how we got there because it really was a season of two halves at Alpine on one hand you had Esteban Ocon and the other hand you had um, Alonso with I think Alonso often feeling like he was being let down by the team and by the the reliability issues. And Ocon, who was, if you'd like to to coin a, a phrase that we use for another particular driver, missed a consistency. There's no getting around that Alonso had a pretty difficult year, which is perhaps why Ocon was able to beat him. Let's not forget that Alonso had five, five DNFs compared to Ocon's two. So that's three point scoring opportunities that Ocon had as opposed to um, Alonso. And one may argue that Alonso's DNFs, you know, actually put him significantly behind in the points. So whether or not that makes on the biggest winner will be down to your personal opinion and personally I think that yeah he kind of does make him a big winner there's no easier way to beat a teammate than your teammate to be unable to finish the season properly and even even Alonso's final race with the team in Abu Dhabi he broke down he DNF'd and I thought that was that must have been really difficult really really difficult for Alonso but Ocon had as a as a, a pretty solid drive. I mean, as you say, he was able to he was able to capitalize on, on opportunities every so often. I mean, his best result uh, was fourth place, um, and eighth in the championship. And so that's a very solid drive for the Alpine team, and Alpine will be very very pleased with that result. Ocon himself, you know, he's had he's had some good opportunities in the past. His his one win was in Hungary. Um, which he, t- he did last year, he's sort of failed to be better than fourth this year, but that doesn't mean there's anything to be worried about, especially when you look at the other racers up in those sort of positions, when you have Max Verstappen, Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Sainz, Leclerc, all challenging for the top six. For an Alpine to find its way amongst that lot, hold its own and be competitive, you start thinking, wow. And Ocon did a good job. To be able to also capitalize on those opportunities, but I can't help but thinking that Ocon was also just a little bit lucky as well, and does that make him the the biggest winner i think i'll I'll allow you to uh to judge that you know yourself um but there's no getting away from ocon's so for example his fourth position at Japan Japan's a notoriously very difficult circuit he really held his own there. And yes, the conditions weren't brilliant. But it, it makes it even more exciting, really, doesn't it? When you get these the opportunities presented to you, because, for example, the weather makes it very, very weird. And so, I think, personally, I think Ocon is a, is a pretty solid choice. Um, I just don't think he would have beaten Alonso had Alonso's car held it together. And I think I think that's a bit of a shame. I think it's a bit of a shame that they both had some reliability issues. But certainly, to end up 8th in the championship, when you consider who's fighting for the top 6, I, I don't think he can say fairer than that. So, we're going to have to move away, I guess, from the, uh, the big drivers. So, I guess Ocon is up there. But it'll be interesting to see whether or not he can repeat it for next year. Especially whether or not he can repeat the the win over his teammate because we do expect the Alpine's reliability issues to get better and Ocon was dropped from the Racing Point team four years ago four or five years ago now um, because he just wasn't as good as Sergio Perez who's if you know don't know he's now at Red Bull so it will be interesting to see next year maybe we can reflect on that in in uh, twelve months time compare this season from last season because repeatability is key in Formula 1. It'll be interesting to see whether or not he can maybe beat his record this year. And I you know fair play to him if he does. I do hope he does. But it will be interesting to see how he copes with a teammate that perhaps doesn't suffer from you know three more <laughs> DNFs than him.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think on that point as well, it'd be quite interesting to see if he can repeat his climb up the Drivers' Championship, because looking back at 2020, when he finished in P12, uh, 21 was P11, and now 22 is P8, it's going to be a difficult feat, a difficult achievement, really, to get much higher than that, I think, unless Alpine really do drag that car up, make it better in terms of general performance, but then also sort out the reliability issues as well, because to be able to crack into that top seven of drivers if you will because yes there's a top six in terms of the best three teams but I think unless McLaren really fall off a cliff in terms of their development I imagine that Norris is going to be up there as well similarly you say someone like Gasly is going to be definitely up there I imagine with someone like Ocon if the reliability issues are fixed you then got Piastri coming into the mix which when you consider that's Uh, The McLaren car of this season had a pretty poor performance in terms of the original start value of it and the package in that regard, yet were able to beat both Alpines despite the Constructor finishing behind them. It makes you think, well, what happens if you have let's say, a better second driver in McLaren if you have someone more akin to Norris. And there's no guarantee that Piastri will do that, but I think that Piastri will definitely have a point to prove there'll be less baggage, less sort of demons it goes to battle with uh, versus someone like Ricardo, who I think was feeling the pressure very much in his second season after, let's say, a slower start. So it'll be quite impressive if Ocon is able to repeat a Pietro and indeed go higher, but then again, I think a slight fall is not one to... He's a sort of demon, therefore, is a loser of the season. But I take your point. He's definitely had the rub of the green when it comes to reliability versus Alonso. But I just don't think he gets there. I suppose the credit or the the reputation that he deserves really for a driver who I think was unlucky to get dumped by Mercedes, who has been quite consistent this season. And as we said during the middle of the season, we had no disrespect to someone like uh, Angus. He's not here to defend himself, but him giving Ocon a 6, I think is quite an average score that people would give Ocon around Formula 1. And I don't think that's fair, is my underlying point. So yeah, he's a winner because I think he surpassed expectations in many ways.
1: Should Ocon have beat Norris though? Because Norris came 7th in the Championship in what I'd argue was an inferior car. I don't think the McLaren was as good as the Alpine. And yet, Ocon lost out quite considerably 30 points
0: yep no i think that's fair i think you're right there um i think he as i say probably gives norris a run for his money in terms of being the best of the rest but the golf there is quite sensible and he probably should have if you're looking at it on a sort of paper theoretical basis in regards to the performance of the alpine versus the mclaren as we see in the constructors for example alpine are ahead and were ahead by I wouldn't say a comfortable margin, but there was a clear difference. It didn't go down to the wire or by one or two points and all here nor there type situation. Um, So in that regard, you've got to say that Ocon has underperformed uh, in a battle against um, a McLaren in terms of Norris. But then again, as we see throughout the entirety of this Drivers' Championship, it's not a two by two situation of, let's say, the top constructor replicates that in the Drivers, be it. I want to for Red Bull, although that was quite likely or indeed close at one point. Um, So there's a bit of mixing up, but I don't think that should necessarily, that stain, if you will, should necessarily uh, detract from what has been quite a solid season. And as I mentioned there earlier, Angus is unfortunately not here to join us in terms of this this episode, but he has put forward his choices, and for driver, he's gone for George Russell, making his debut there in the Mercedes, beating Lewis Hamilton finishing P4 in the driver's championship, retiring. Only once out of the points, only once as well. Winning his first Grand Prix in Sao Paulo, lest we forget, a few weekends ago. Very consistent at the start of the season and with one or two blips here or there, he's pretty much been on the podium every single week. So, Tristan, our thoughts on this. Has Angus played a, uh, a good card, if you will, in terms of putting George Russell as his winner of the season?
1: He has played a good card. Is it the top four card that I would have played? Probably not my, to be honest, I think out looking at the, the year as a whole, taking everything into account, I think maybe one could argue someone like Sergio Perez would have been given it if he won, Did but he didn't. And so maybe that argument falls down a little bit, but there's no, there's no doubting that George Russell had a very, very, very good season. This is his first season with mercedes and what a way to make in you know, a statement coming into the sport um just a few years back three years ago we were all hyping him up at williams expecting him to do really well and saying that car oh, if only george had a proper car i'm sure he could do great and then in 2020 during the city season he got that opportunity he was swapping in for lewis hamilton to for for one race whilst Lewis Hamilton was was a bit under the weather um with with COVID and did a fantastic job beating um Valtteri Bottas in in um in the race for the to the to start with and then unfortunately Mercedes messed up around him and unfortunately he, he ended up dropping back and then fighting his way back into the points again. Um but afterwards it was clear that Mercedes had a very, very strong eye on George, especially when everyone around him was saying, my goodness, what a great race that was. And so George has been given his opportunity this year and has beaten Lewis Hamilton by a, a significant margin. Finally, someone can shut up um, <laughs> Nico Rosberg, because Rosberg likes to shout about how he beat Lewis Hamilton in equal machinery. Well, George managed to as well, but I don't think George is going to be as vocal about it not going to rub everyone's face in it as in a way that I think Nico Rosberg likes to because you know although although it's a testimony of how good George was I think Lewis had a, had some unfortunate moments in the season as well and let's not forget Lewis's fantastic moments um, for example in, in Brazil he did very well um but as much as Lewis did well in Brazil it was certain George Russell who who really owned that weekend taking the win for mercedes and if you go back to our podcast on that we actually discussed that moment discuss what that really meant for the team um, and unfortunately it denied lewis hamilton his streak of a race win in every season but i think as i said then i don't think there was mind too much because what it meant for george was his first ever win in formula one he was denied it a couple of years back but he only had to wait till now and what an absolutely brilliant season george has had! So far, I mean, it, it, overall, two hundred and seventy-five points and fourth in the championship, and and that's from a from a you know, a racer that was at Williams who scored zero points first two years and then finally got his first points just last year. That's incredible! What an absolutely insane difference just one year can make. But that's what it means to be to be going up through this sport and showing off exactly what. I suppose what you can do um, even in a team that no one expects anything from because I think a lot of drivers turn their nose up to to the lower teams. So, you know, even, even some of the junior drivers in Formula two, can, oh, I don't want to be in Williams. It's a bit slow, but George has done really well there. And this year, as I say, I think it's a pretty good, pretty good nod from uh, Angus because to, to go from, only a few points last year to 275 this year that's one hell of a win isn't it <laughs> that's a one hell of a move um and so i i just can't i can't really fault george too much other than in the last few races he got quite uh bumpy he he, <laughs> he kind of bumped into everyone we must remember that formula one is a non-contact sport um, actually I went go-karting at the weekend and they, they kept yelling at us, remember that this is a non-contact sport. Um, luckily there was very few contacts, uh, in it, but just like that formula one as lower divisions are all non-contact sports and George kind of did have some issues throughout the, uh, throughout the end of the season, um, colliding into people. Uh, in the USA for example that was a terrible move into term 1 collecting ferrari and um sort of a bit embarrassing he needed to tidy up a bit but to be honest we said the same thing about people like max verstappen you know and sergio perez leclerc alonso none of them are are, are perfect i mean hamilton is is actually much tidier driving, than i think a lot of the others but george has had a really good season and it's a pretty big win for him to be in mercedes and get fourth in championship and beat Lewis Hamilton. Oh, that's a that's a big ask for next year, is it not?
0: Mm, absolutely, yeah. A very strong pick there for Mangus. And it's hard to fault Russell, as you say there, because going into this season, him replacing Bottas, there was, I think, a few murmurings around Formula 1 about whether it was the right decision. And that's no critique of Russell per se in terms of his ability, but it was rocking what warns a the perfect relationship in terms of Mercedes you had Bottas who had always been very dependable a very good second driver someone who could win races on his day and Lewis Hamilton a seven-time world champion and to go and replace that is always going to be difficult there's always going to be ripples if you will from that but there seems to have been no ripples in terms of the interpersonal inter-team relationships that's a big tick there in my books uh, moving forwards as well not only this season He's beat Lewis Hamilton quite convincingly as well. Not many drivers can say that at all. And that's his first season as well. I mean, you'd be forgiven or you'd forgive George Russell if he was slightly behind Hamilton. Let's say P7, P6, and Hamilton was in P4. He would say, well, that's fair enough. He's come up from a Williams car, which was difficult, shall we say. And he's now moving up to the bigger leagues. And obviously that takes some time to, to bet in. But he seems to have realistically... Hit water like a like, like a like a sort of perfect duck in many ways. You know, it's one of those where it is a difficult Mercedes car he's had to deal with this season. But in many cases, he's been far more consistent than Hamilton in terms of executing the points, in terms of getting the best out of the car. And maybe you can go and say, well, yes, that's owned to the fact that he's been at Williams. He knows how to navigate a more temperamental car than, let's say, Hamilton, who's more. A uh, tune or used to uh, a better package, if you will, but still to do that to get you know P3s at the very start and uh, you know a couple of P4 and fives is very much where that Mercedes was. But you still have to execute that. You still have to go out there and do that to not get sucked back into the congestion midfield. Which, let's be fair, at the start of the season, the first quartile, there was a very real possibility that Mercedes would be sucked from third into a fourth, fifth, sixth battle. Uh, that was fairly remote in many ways but that was still there and the fact that, that didn't happen the fact that chaos didn't descend is owing to George Russell and, and the fact that he's beaten a Ferrari as well which let's be fair there's been a few issues when it comes to reliability for uh, the, the car of signs be that reliability issues in the traditional sense of hydraulics power units or reliability when it comes to strategy for example and issues like that so But nonetheless, to go and beat a a Ferrari, to be so close as well to P3 and to P2, 30-plus points to P2 in that Mercedes car, which has been so difficult, is credit to him as well, really. So I think difficult to repeat next season, but a very, very strong start. And any doubters, I think, or any critics of George Russell, they're a lot quieter now than they were at the start of the season because it's very difficult, really, unless you're really picking at things to go... Yeah, George hasn't really had a very good season or he's underperformed in this regard or that regard. You know, winning a race, getting on the podium more times than not, credit to him, strong peg.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh just before we move on, um, as a just a bit of George Russell trivia, he actually shares a birthday with the um with another very famous British driver in, in Graham Hill. So uh perhaps there is something about drivers born on the fifteenth of February um <laughs> and uh maybe, well hopefully i mean george will be really really hoping that he's able to go off and match graham's championships um i think graham has three championships um to his name so you know definitely george is a proper contender for the the future championships
0: absolutely it's one of those where i just hope he hasn't set the bar too high because yes this has been an underperforming mercedes car but to go and beat your teammate by such the degree that he has and to show what he can do when things aren't going in his favor there's a perhaps a danger that people then go well well when we go and design you the perfect car or a near perfect constructors winning car you should be able to go and beat him beat this person as well and beat your teammates. So I doubt that will come back to haunt him, but in many ways he started too well. And I think you just say it'd be unfair for us to go and say, Oh, go on, do that again, and then someplace. And so the three drivers have been selected by us all, be it all Angus Select against virtually or via WhatsApp. We move now to the constructors. So Tristan, who have you chosen for your winning team of this season?
1: Well, so this took me. Quite a while to to I, I sort of spent time weighing up all the options. And again, seeing your options first, I had to go back and reevaluate what I think I was I was going to score against. Because it's very easy to say, well, this is easy. The biggest winners are just Red Bulls, oh well, it's you yeah, know, it's Ferrari, their difference or whatever. And I was gonna pick Hass and then i thought actually probably not because as a team you you sort of succeed and fail as a team and i don't think has really were the biggest winners um for me perhaps controversially and listeners please let us know what you think about um both our picks and and your own as well we'd like to i'd like to hear um your winners and and losers actually um from this season 2022 season but for me it was alpine And that perhaps is a little bit of a a, a surprise, although perhaps not, given that you selected Ocon as your biggest winner. And we were talking about how close Ocon and Alonso were together. But Alpine did come in fourth place, beating McLaren, which is no mean feat. Especially when they lost to McLaren last year. So they swapped round, beat their, their rivals and demonstrated how fast they they could be. Now, they had a lot of reliability issues. There's no getting away from that fact. Caused a whole load of problems for themselves. But what we've got to consider when we look at the teams and the way that they've done this year is teams had, had options going into the 2022 season, especially when selecting parts. Now, our team... Is a bit unique on the sp- in in the sport because they are currently the only team supplied by Renault engines. Everyone else is either Ferrari, Honda, or really Red Bull powertrains. But it, we, it's back to Honda now, so that makes everything easy. Um, or Mercedes. Now, Renault slash Alpine, because they're basically interchangeable, given that Renault actually own. Alpine, decided that they were going to go for maximum performance out of their engine. And you're thinking, well, that's that's a pretty logical thing to do. What, what, everyone's <laughs> going to go for that. Well, no. Because when you lock in your performance numbers, you're not allowed to bring in upgrades to the performance um, for the next three years. You can bring, it, bring in reliability upgrades to make the engines last (laughs) more than two races for Alonso but you can't you can't up the power numbers so whatever you you start with you have to you have to hope that it's either going to be enough and you've got to try and get that trade-off now Alpine went with maximum performance and I think it showed how powerful it actually was when Alpines were on form they were absolutely flying brilliant power units and yes, they broke down. They uh, caught on fire. They locked the engine up. They but they prevented Fernando Alonso from trying to get pole position, for example, in Monaco when his engine just seized on him and it wouldn't work. Oh, big problems there. But the recipe worked. It was a a demonstration. It was um you know it was an in practice demonstration of the theory. And when we go into next year, Alpine will have brought reliability issues, perhaps to the side they would have upgraded the engine and made it more competitive by being able to allow their drivers to win slash get to the end of more races and so i think the proof of concept makes them a massive winner mercedes's structure is get to the end of the race because it's better to have a car over the line in fourth than at the side of the track from first not winning and whilst that's nice and easy for, Mes- for Mercedes to say, because they've been in such a strong position for such a long time, for Alpine, it was all about the raw numbers. And the reason why, in my opinion, Alpine were able to, to, to win, to beat Ms- McLaren, was simply because their drivers were given a better package of car. With a much faster engine, and you might be saying, "Well, Almond McLaren were hampered by the fact they had Ricardo." Well, Alpine hampered themselves also by having a total of seven DNFs throughout the season, and that's a pretty, you know, nasty thing to happen throughout the season. Bear in mind that that's basically one in three races one of their drivers failed to finish, and yet they still won. And if that doesn't make them one of the biggest winners. I don't know what does. I think once they've got the reliability issues ironed out, next year, perhaps, they are one to watch. We we knew that they would have something interesting this season. Our predictions and the rumours were that Alpine were bringing something relatively special. And yes, it was nothing like the Red Bull, nothing like the Ferrari, and perhaps nothing like the Mercedes, but my goodness, it was something a little bit different. And hopefully, it'd be really nice if other other teams took the Renault engines a little bit more seriously because we kind of forget about them, and yet they were very, very
0: powerful. Absolutely, yeah. And when you compare this season to last season, they had four DNFs last season, yet finished in P5. Yet they had more DNFs this season and finished in P4. And I think, really, it's all subjective, obviously, to how we pick our chosen driver and constructor. But I do judge my winners, and I'll get on mine, based on where they were last season, to this season. And, as you said there, so eloquently, Tristan, Alpine were a team to be seriously feared in terms of topping in the timesheets at the very start of the season, owing to their raw pace and the overall package of performance they developed. And that's not something to be scoffed at when we consider... A, how good Ferrari were at the start of the season b how good Red Bull became in the sort of latter half of that quartile, let alone, and how sort of I suppose consistent Mercedes and indeed George Russell were in terms of both Saturday and Sunday, so credit to them as well. Couple on to the fact that I think that similarly to Ocon, they don't get the reputational credit they deserve. We talked about it previously. They're very much in splendid isolation as is. No B team, no C team in terms of Formula One. Very much cut adrift from everyone else, owing so to the former reliability issues that the Renault engines provided to Red Bull, for example. So then, to go and beat uh, McLaren, to get in, I suppose, a decent gap from them and to be uh, far away from a very packed midfield of Aston Martin, Alfred Mayo, Haas, when we consider that most of these are A, Ferrari powered, and B, Mercedes consistent, you you sort of think to yourself, well, that's quite a mean feat to go and complete as well. Couple on to the fact that there's not only reliability issues there in terms of more Alonso's car than Ocon granted, but I think it's fair to say as well that Ocon and Alonso weren't really getting on too well. There was a lot of occasions, I think back to I think Saudi Arabia, for example, or definitely one of the Middle Eastern Grand Prix, where on pure pace alone, they could have both gone after those Mercedes cars, gone after the constructor as of a whole, but they were too busy fighting one another and that ultimately led to them falling down the pack and getting less points than they deserved in many cases. So... I completely understand why Alpine have um, been picked by himself. I think a very strong season in terms of them getting P4. It'd be a huge, huge task for them to close the gap between themselves and Mercedes and to ultimately, I suppose, root the ambition or to succeed in that regard in terms of getting towards the top of the grid and get on the podium, start winning races as is, we're told, I suppose, the, the hope and the optimism this team has moving forwards but they've shown good signs particularly when you consider the regulation change as well having to essentially hit the ground running there create a good car when you're somewhat flying blind isn't easy look at Mercedes for example going from the undisputed or definitely one of the best constructors um, in the sport to a clear third place just shows how tricky it is to navigate around these regulations and to um, make a good package my hope is for Uh, Alpine, that while they've been able to go and jump the pack, if you will, and get ahead of the midfield of McLaren, of uh, Alfa Romeo, for example, but now everyone knows what the regulations are and how to navigate through them, they don't get drawn back into that midfield because, you know, credit to them, they've taken one or two technicians elsewhere from other teams, but it's paid dividends in terms of what they're able to um, create and put forward throughout the entirety of the season, albeit with a few mistakes, I'd argue out of their control. And going on to my constructor then, I've gone for Alfa Romeo. And my reasoning for this, well, if you look at them last season, they were in P9, they scored points, if I'm correct, only on six occasions, and compare that to 12 in 2022. They were a team, in my view, that were pretty much going nowhere. You had Raikkonen that was at the very end of his career. Many would say, in my eyes, rightly, that he probably should have left the sport one or two years earlier than he did. And Giovinazzi, which I think any listener of this podcast, be that recent or older, will know that I'm not a huge fan of Giovinazzi. He's... Granted the reserve driver of Ferrari but in my eyes rightfully not holding a permanent seat in Formula 1 because he's not good enough in my view to be at Alfa Romeo and they seem to be a team that's had that driver pairing for what are two seasons going on three they seem stale going nowhere very much battling for the wooden spoon and feed a team to Ferrari nothing more than that really. Well, 2021 ended, they rolled the dice, they went full house, if you will, and got rid of both their drivers and brought in two. They brought in the rookie of Guanyu Zhou and then Bottas as well, who was without a drive and obviously after Mercedes went for George Russell instead. Now, a lot of the success in terms of where Alfa Romeo are now, that being P6 in the championship compared to P9 the season before, a lot of that is owing to the fact that Bottas has done so well. He's a quality driver and they've been able to put together a very good car aided by a Ferrari power unit, which no doubt helped them at the very start and indeed first half of the season. But regardless of the potential being there, look at someone like, let's say, McLaren and, and um, Ricardo for example. While the potential's there, while theoretically is good, while on paper it's ideal, you still have to do it, you still have to do well, you still have to go and complete the objective, if you will. And I think for a team that's got rid of both their drivers, got a brand new duo in there, granted one of them being a very experienced driver, to go from P9 to go to P6 is a huge achievement. That being said, if you compare the first half of the season to the second, chalk and cheese, points seemingly every race bar one or two, double points finishes all the way to uh, Silverstone, if I'm not mistaken, then compare that afterwards, after those two retirements to points only three times, and that's out of both cars as well in the remaining 11 or so Grand Prix. So it has been a tale of two halves, if you will, but the way I'm judging this and the reason that I think that Alfa Romeo are the biggest winner, if you will, is the scale of progress they've been able to make, not only in their package but also in what they've been able to achieve in the standings as well of this championship at the very least.
1: What a wonderful introduction really for, for Alfa Romeo and some a, a team that we've had I think a lot of respect for. Mm. And certainly we've been looking at them wondering whether or not they would hold on to their positions uh, because yep. they had almost a, a pointless finish actually and as you say hell of two halves, really. And Aston Martin kind of got their act together towards the end. It was a bit of a shame that Vessel couldn't deliver them the points. But in the words of, of him on his cool down lap at Abu Dhabi, how did we get the strategy so wrong? And at least Alfa Romeo didn't do that. 55 points drawing with Aston Martin is, is no bad thing. You know, they won if you go look back at the season at the end of the um, what was highest um, race finishes. That's how they work it out for sixth place and and going from where they were last year to this year that that is an incredible change it really is ninth to sixth is one of the largest positive movements that you can actually make very easy to make negative movements isn't it (laughs) but to make a positive movement from like that um if, if we would like to continue on that trend Alfa Romeo would end up in third next year as a big jump it's a massive jump and we can't take that away from them because they said they we were going to prioritize this year and you know what they absolutely prioritized this year um and and rightly so apparently because they did really really well and bottas as well what a stroke of genius bringing bottas in had an absolute revival of the man um after mercedes when he he did really well at mercedes for the first couple of years and then you could tell that he was just tired of it Tired of the the ultimate pressures of delivering constructors championships to the team, in it he I think was almost in his head, knowing that he was going to be moved aside for the younger George Russell, and after losing to, in Bahrain to him, um, in in the opening laps, I think Bottas knew that his time at Mercedes was was going to be over, um, but then, but it's a man who's he's an incredible driver. When you go back to Xanderfort, right. Uh, last year when in in the Mercedes when Bottas threatened to do the fastest lap two purple sectors and then James the chief strategist at Mercedes gets on the radio and says Bottas back out from that fastest lap he slows down does a yellow sector and it still is fastest lap because that's how fast he was going absolutely nuts lap um so yeah Middle finger up at Mercedes, I think, for for Bottas in that that moment, and it was a it was a moment I think that we all sort of looked at each other, but thinking, right, there's something going on here at Mercedes. Um, you know, Bottas was on his way out, and we all thought, oh, blimey, he's gone to Alfa Romeo. What the hell is he going to be doing there? Turns out, what he's going to be doing there is not doing half bad. And and really, I think Alfa Romeo need to thank Bottas for delivering them the 49 points that he managed to pass their way. Forty nine out of fifty five, by the way. So that that is only six points. Um, that that when you managed to deliver them as well. So Bottas coming in tenth place has has certainly helped the team. But that's you know part of being what biggest winner from the from the um, team's perspective actually is. You know they lost Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi couldn't really deliver them much um, last year. And I think Bottas certainly has been a, a massive credit. So perhaps I might argue, and this is what this whole spiel has ended up with: is Alfa Romeo got Valtteri Bottas, and I'm really pleased that he's still in the sport.
0: Here's a question for you: Then, do you think that Alfa Romeo or Team Bottas, if you will, can rise higher than P6 because the gap between them and McLaren hundred points plus?
1: That's that's gonna be that's a really difficult one, especially when you've got McLaren and alpine splitting those sort of large chunked points i don't i don't think so um what i would say is they could potentially get to fifth if the the ferrari engine um keeps them in the game and alpine and mclaren keep having some issues uh, I, I think I think it's going to be one of those cases of Alf, Alfa Romeo can, on consistency, get themselves up another place to fifth maybe, but only because everyone around them is sort of crashing out.
0: Yeah, that's fair, and I think as well, I'm saying that. Without considering that someone like Aston Martin, for example, who are getting Alonso next season, won't be able to go and close the gap or indeed uh, get rather close to McLaren or indeed closer to uh, McLaren than Alfa Romeo. But I think there's a lot of positives to take. For Alpha Romeo moving forwards, but as you say, a lot of it has been down to Bottas, and credit to Alpha Romeo for noticing that Bottas could be without a team and grabbing him and getting a driver that's going to be in the sport for five years plus, so into his age and still be in his peak at that time. But they do need Guanyu to up the ante moving forwards now. I'm not saying for one moment he's had a bad season because, let's be fair, he is a a rookie driver in an okay car. Finishing P18 is probably what you expect for the second seat of Alfa Romeo, let's be fair. That's not too far away from how Marcus Ericsson did, for example, or indeed Giovinazzi or Raikkonen in many aspects as well. But I think if they do want to go and close that gap to P5 to whoever is in that position, or indeed McLaren if they remain there, it's got to be more of a team effort. Going back to what we said about McLaren in this season and seasons past, it has to be both drivers pedalling in the right direction, giving it all, contributing, not just being one person doing everything. Because as we sort of saw, when Bottas wasn't having a cracking race or indeed weekend or a string of them, in the second half of the season, there were little to no points aside from two P10s and a P nine. Uh, for Alfa Romeo so need to make sure they're firing on all cylinders I'm sure though that um, in terms of Guan Yu Zhou he'll definitely improve but um, a solid start but no more than that for him And finally, onto the choice of Angus when it comes to the constructors. He's chosen Red Bull, which, if you look at the constructors, is very hard to argue with. But I suppose the scale, really, in terms of the gap between them and Ferrari, who had a fantastic start versus Red Bull's very poor one, is probably a hazard to guess why uh, Angus has chosen Red Bull in terms of why he's picked them for his winner. And it's easy now to go and look at the sort of latter half of the season, that string of P1s from France all the way to Mexico, and go, oh, well, it's all been plain sailing. Well, rewind all the way to Bahrain, to Saudi Arabia, where there was huge issues surrounding the powertrains of Red Bull. The first time they'd been, I suppose, making their complete car from scratch, not relying on, I suppose, a Honda-branded, or at least a Honda-manufactured uh, element or power unit to their cars, there was question marks about whether Red Bull could do it on their own, whether they could be a Mercedes, a Ferrari, a constructor, an engineer, or whether they could be essentially a very jazzed-up Haas and be someone who buys in the power units but didn't really know what to do beyond that. But I think, really, they've put that that sort of discussion or potential critique to bed, really, because, yes, Ferrari have, I suppose, imposed self-inflicted injuries upon themselves in terms of what they've done but the fact that we nearly had a P1 and 2 in the Drivers' Championship for Red Bull and them winning the Constructors, then winning essentially everything, I think in Formula 1, is really a real credit to how well they've done the season after what was a very solid season last year.
1: Total domination is the words that pop to mind when we think of Red Bull this year. Complete and utter domination. The only person that... Red Bull was had to worry about to challenge Max Verstappen, ended up falling over his own team. And unfortunately, Leclerc wasn't able to, to deliver, perhaps not because he wasn't a- shouldn't have been able to because of his talent, but actually because Ferrari couldn't get it together. And so, as I say, complete and total domination. Nothing else explains just the level of, of consistency from Max Verstappen, consistency from Red Bull. And also the 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 sheer you know high achievements also of Perez almost taking second place away from Charles Leclerc. If Abu Dhabi was three laps longer, I I I, can't, I think Perez would have got it to be honest. And that's the only criticism, the only one I can think of for Red Bull. Yes, the start of the season wasn't great, but let's ignore the anomalies. Just talk about the season over, uh, uh, you know, as a whole. It was certainly the uh, the Max Verstappen team. And That's my only criticism there is they could have done more to support Sergio Perez. But what what a what a race, you know, a, a, what a season I should say from both of them. Max has smashed records like they're going out of fashion, including the the most number of wins ever in a season and that's just crazy and yes the season's getting longer but that also means you have to be consistent for longer as well and Sergio Perez has been absolutely paramount to Max getting his wins yet again let's not forget he beat Leclerc forced Leclerc into a silly move at the end of the Japanese Grand Prix allowing him to cross the line first giving Max enough points to to take victory a a race early so early in fact that everyone was standing around going max championship is max the champion yet is that is easy champion oh he's the champion quick put him on the throne the grand throne poor max was sitting in a room by himself on a big red chair going i'm lonely um which you know he probably was and but that's that was an amazing achievement for him second world championship and we yes we didn't quite get the complete you know, and and very loud Celebrations from Christian Horner yelling Max Verstappen you're a two-time world champion that's why by the way our intro hasn't changed if you go back we change our intros at the point where we have a new champion the reason why it's not Max Verstappen you are a, a two-time world champion is because no one said it <laughs> no one said it so we we can't change it which is a bit annoying so um but if you're Red Bull at the moment you're going to be sitting pretty on your big red throne I'm very excited by the fact that you have under your belt this year the constructors championship and the drivers championship one two in the drivers have been amazing too but hey you can't quite win everything especially when you have a team like ferrari rapidly bearing down on you trying to grab what they can from there what i would say was a pretty poor season all
0: things considered and on that bombshell for many, it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 40 of F1 In Review. Thank you very much for tuning in, be that live via River Radio or via their Listen Back feature, or be that on your preferred podcast provider, your Apple, Spotify, your Podfollow, any provider you chose. Thank you very much for picking us and for listening to us all the way to the end of this episode. A reminder that you can follow myself, Tristan and the F1 in review account on Twitter. The handle for the F1 in review account is simply F1 in review, no dots, no dashes, just capital F1 in review. So that concludes our winners' episodes. There's going to be two episodes left before we finish for Christmas. And while we've been talking about the winners of this episode, we're talking about the losers next episode. Now, I think the final episode is a bit of a mystery. So stay tuned and we'll let you know all about that at the end of next episode. But thank you very much for listening and we'll see you this time next week.